All right, guys, welcome back to Within Tolerance. This is episode 34, and I am joined with Dylan once again. And uh, let's just get started. So I'm going to plug something right away. We have t-shirts now. So if you go over to my website, bricktactical.com, there's going to be a clothing section at the very bottom once you go to the store page. And we'll have three different colors of t-shirts. We have a charcoal, which is like a darker gray that most people seem to like after we did our polls. Then we have a light gray, and then we have a stone gray. So those were the like three most popular options. We were going to do white, but not enough people liked that. And personally, I think they just get dirty. So we went with these three options. They're on pre-order right now. So we're kind of testing the waters, seeing how many of these things we can actually sell and uh, what sizes we should make more of. So I don't know how long we're going to do the pre-order, maybe a week or two. But right now it's going to be $22 for one shirt. And then that's including shipping. So $22 shipped. Then you will also be including some in the stickers. US. Yes, US. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Um, and that's with stickers of both Dylan and I's companies. And then we're also getting within tolerance stickers made. So you'll get a bunch of swag, $22 shipped, US only. And uh, like I said, probably will last for about a week or two. And then eventually we'll um, just buy inventory of the shirts that are most popular in the most popular sizes. And uh, we'll go from there. But just wanted to start that off. I'm really curious to see, and I know Dylan is curious to see if we sell any of these. Do we sell five of them or do we sell 20? You know, I'd love to see people wearing these in their shop. I think it'd be really cool. Dylan knows that they are very comfy shirts. These are the same company that I use to get my brick tactical shirts printed. And I sent some of those out to some uh, machining buddies and they all seem to say good things about them. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So we got the t-shirts and then, yeah, I had, uh, some real not cheap stickers, but I, I got a really good deal on stickers. So we've got 60 of those that'll go out with the first 60 pre-orders. We'll drop them in the box with the, or the, the bag with the t-shirt. So definitely uh, head over there. They should be live as of this podcast. So yeah, go scoop one if you want one. And we'd love to see, you know, a picture of you guys in your shop once you get it. Um, yeah. And it's really cool. Cause so it's, being printed in a company that's a pretty small startup company local to me in Washington. It's like 30, no, it's like 20 minutes away, but great group of people and they'll doing all the printing. So it's actually a two color print and um, it's just going to be really cool. So I'll have to let them know what sizes and all that to print. And then I'll go over there and then I'll be doing all the shipping and fulfillment. So if for some reason, and I hope this happens, but I also don't hope it happens. Well, I mainly hope it happens. But if we get like 200 <laughs> orders, I'm going to be the one fulfilling them. So bear with us here. <laughs> yeah, something tells me that we won't sell that many, but it would be cool if we did. Regardless, if you guys want to pick one up, we would really appreciate it. If not, again, totally understand. Thanks for listening, regardless. Yeah. So I guess, Dylan, do you want to just start in? You have a bunch of shop news here on our spreadsheet. Well, first, I'll plug real quick. Next week on the podcast, we have Tom Lipton, aka Ox Tools, on, which is super exciting. Um, we'll we'll refresh at the end of the episode, but just wanted to you know start that brain going. Think about questions you want. We'll post up an Instagram later this week. It should be super fun. Yeah, that's gonna be a really cool episode. I'm super excited because it's gonna be kind of a 180 because we always talk about CNC, but he does pretty much all manual. Yeah, and gorgeous manual work. I mean, yeah, yeah. just art. Yeah, it, it's it's. I love watching his videos because I always learn something. Yeah, um, but yeah, going to shop 
things like we've been absolutely slammed and that led to my first kind of boo-boo with the probe thankfully i didn't crash it or anything and, and I, a lot of people reached out when i posted on my stories on instagram um i was hammering so i had these plates that the side let me back up so it's a they were like a half inch by two inch by 14 inch long plate and i had four of them and the faces of those just could be stock finish, but the sides had to be like a, a 125 or better. And there was some gouging and stuff. So I was holding all four of them and two vices and just skimming on both sides of them. And on the second side, some of them were cleaning up earlier than others. So I wanted to just go tap them down and make sure that everything was seated and that I wasn't just like clipping something that was sitting high. And so I'm just tapping down the left side. And this was with my face mill in the spindle and down by the part. So Tool one is my face mill. Tool 21 right next to it, up right under the tool changer is my probe. And all of a sudden I'm tapping down and I just feel something whack me right in the face and then tumble into the chip tray. And I look down and I'm like, huh, that looks like a a probe tip. (laughs) I look up right dead, like straight with my eye line. And yep, there's the probe with just a little metal piece of the probe sticking out of the body. And the the, uh, ceramic was broken off. I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me you're like this looks like an sk holder now <laughs> yeah i was like this is the oh, you gotta be kidding me and so i um immediately was just like oh man i gotta go back to like i gotta figure out how to use the hammer with the tool setter go back to the dark ages and <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> no i'm kidding but but i was like you know we were already so we already had so much work in the shop that i was like great this is only gonna put me behind even more and so i reached out thankfully to brad southard who lives locally and i knew that he also had a probe with his hoss i was like hey is there any chance you have a spare probe tip i've been meaning to order them and i just been lazy about it is there any way i could you know buy one from you or whatever and thank goodness he had one and so later in the day i was able to run up there and grab it and re-indicate it in and everything's honky-dory now but yeah it was you know, uh, a few of the people who reached out were like, Hey, um, you know, what happened? Did you, did you crash your pro? And I told them and I was like, they're like, Oh, that's dumb. And I was like, yeah, this, this trade really has a way of continually humbling you every single time. You're like, Oh, I'm, I'm worried, worried about, you know, high level things. Like it's the, the stupid little mistakes that just come and bite you in the ass. So, so that- what'd you learn? Uh, don't hammer under the spindle. Be really careful of like where the probe is in the carousel compared to where I am. Um, like the rest of like the rest of the night, if I had to hammer something down, I made sure the the spindle was way out or the the table was way out from under the spindle. Um, and just you know was more cognizant of where that was. So brings out the caution tape, maps it out before it gets the hammer. <laughs> yeah, no, it 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 was a good lesson and just you know being more aware of my entire surroundings than just what I was doing. You know, uh, I was just, I was so single-minded focused on the little things that I just completely missed the giant probe staring me in the face. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, you know, it all worked out. Probe was totally fine. Everything's working fine. It indicated in perfectly. Uh, it took a little bit, but it, it indicated in fine. Um, yeah. So that was fine. That's good. I mean, better than you cutting your finger seriously on an end mill or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as far as 
mistakes go it just hurt my pocketbook it didn't and then my pride it didn't hurt yeah. me or it didn't hurt a part or something like that so low cost overall a good reminder i now have two probe tips on order so i will always have a backup yeah um, i learned that lesson and so yeah it, it's just you know a good lesson to have um yeah that was the first thing i was gonna text you is don't you have a spare oh i'd been meaning to for weeks i was like oh i gotta go on q mark and, and order one up and just do it. And like, I had even like found them on my spare time and like bookmarked them on my phone and just never went through with it. Um, I thought I had to create an account. And then when I checked out, it was like, check out his guests. And I was like, Oh yeah, this would have been really, really quick to do weeks ago and yeah. saved me the tassel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- so those were, it, they're heaps cheaper on Q mark. And then somebody, I think our brother tech, just told me about uh, carbideprobes.com, or I think that's what it's called. And they have some really uh, inexpensive ones as well. So how much is a probe tip? I have no idea. So a Renishaw from MSC was 110 I think. Oh, MSC has them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they do. <laughs> um, and the QMark equivalent is 80 And then I think the Carbide Probes, yeah, it's carbideprobes.com. Um, and I think there's this... 75 or 70 so just a little bit cheaper oh that's like i thought they'd be way more expensive that's like pretty cheap yeah yeah the the machine probe ones are usually significantly cheaper like i've used tiny little half mil ball ones at work that are like a half millimeter ball on a carbide shank and those are 95 a piece from q mark which means that they're probably 150 from renishaw okay and those are like so easy to break you, you breathe on them wrong and you're gonna break it so yeah they're a, a little a little sketchy i guess i never thought about that i've always thought if i got a probe i'd want a small tip to do finer work but i never thought that you literally it's now like a small end mill that's really long yeah that you gotta be worried about breaking yeah because it is on a carbide shank usually when it's that small yeah and so it i mean you look at it wrong and you can break one of those off Huh. Interesting. Yeah, so it looks like the ones on carbide probes are 50, 60 bucks. That's good. That's yeah, yeah that's not bad at all. I've never used them though, but uh I've used QMark and like I I pretty much switched the quality department at work over to QMark solely because they're just way quicker than Renishaw and better pricing and all that. Yeah, cuz doesn't QMark keep inventory and all that and they're just ready to go? Yeah, and they're out of California, so they're super close. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that was a good, good total lesson thing. Um, and then we also got the old brother back up and running because I had some parts that I wanted to run on the vacuum fixture, and I didn't really want to deal with running the airlines and all that through the Speedio. And so, like, I already had everything set up on the old brother, and so we got that back powered up and. The batteries are still good, so we still had all of our parameters, which we were kind of worried about. And that thing, it, it's funny going from like the Speedio to that because, yes, there's like some niceties that you're missing. Like there's no backspace button. There's just the delete button. So you have to like go backwards and then hit delete. And there's, you know, I'm using RS-232 over USB again, which is slow, but it's still super quick. Like I going back to it, it's like, oh yeah, this is why I wanted to get a new brother because this thing's so kick-ass that like, of course the new one would be better. Oh yeah. So it, it's, it was nice to get it up and running and making parts again and all that. So what's the deal with the uh, Kitamura? 
So I have found somebody, I think, to cut the windows. So we're going to get them catted up this weekend and sent over. And then once those are cut, um, Brad might be uh, trading some lunches for a few of his co-workers to come and cl- help clean machines or clean the kitty. <laughs> um, and then we're going to get that thing listed on you know Craigslist and get that thing sold. Yeah, that needs to go sooner rather than later, I would say, I would think, especially with like tax. I don't know if tax stuff is still viable or how that works, but. Well, selling it wouldn't affect our, if anything, we'd have more tax liability by selling a machine. Well, I'm guessing for the buyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't think that that's in effect anymore. This would be for 2020 at this point, yeah. but um, yeah, we'll, we'll get it sold. I'm not worried about it. We we got it for a steal. We need to get a certain amount out of it. And really, we just need to get the space back, which would be fantastic. Yeah, that's just going to make you feel like you're in a much larger room, I bet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it's just going to make me want another brother or something. Yeah. But I'm, I'm out of power now. So I at least I have something physical keeping me from <laughs> from moving up until we move <laughs> shops, which is a, a significant bigger investment than just a, a new machine. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that, that was great. Vacuum fixture worked amazing again. No problems. Uh, I'm, I'm still so happy that we ended up buying that because these, were, these weren't these were grill parts. Like, I have more grill parts to make, but these were just a, like, six-inch square by eighth-inch thick finish size that we needed to, like, face both sides and cut some features in, and everything worked out great. That's good. So yeah. it's good to know that machine's, you know, still kicking butt, really. Yeah, that thing, it, it really is just, it's so good. Um, like, it's no Speedio, but it, as long as I'm not doing 3D surfacing, like, it, it keeps up really well with the Speedio, and it's just nice, and yeah, it's just awesome. I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's just going to be nice when you have those two machines just feeding each other off ones and off twos or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and... and well, and going back to what you were saying about getting rid of the kitty, right now I can't get rid of it until I get that. F- well, let me back up. I need a spoil board fixture plate type of thing to do large, thin pieces on. And right now the kitty's the only one that has that. And I was waiting to make another one so that I had the orange zero point system so I could just put those studs in the bottom and just plop that thing on there repeatedly every time. Yeah. And so really like we we've continually been getting work that needs that type of fixturing um so for right now it's nice that we still have the kitty because like tonight i'm going in and working on a part that i need that for gotcha so it's it's all working out and speaking of the fixture plate the update on that is i believe thursday of last week they said that it was coming back from anodize and that it needed to be inspected cleaned and shipped and so it's supposed to ship sometime this week oh so might have it next week fingers crossed it'll be super cool um yeah and then the other update on that is i don't know what tipped me off but i was like oh you know i can't remember what it was but i like thought of you and your fifth axis dilemma of like oh loading up my table too much blah 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 um and i realized i was like i never did the math and like figured out how much this is all going to weigh and what my table load is. And so the table load on the Speedio is 300 pounds, I think. Okay. And so like the double station vice is 108. 
the uh what are they the, the tiny delta vices are 14 a piece the fixture plate i think is going to be 60 each of the zero point stations is another 12 oh, um wow. so like i if i left everything at you know normal i think i would have a 50 or 60 pound overhead to put parts on oh which would probably be fine but then i did some more research and you can change a parameter that tells it that you've loaded the table heavy and it slows down the x and y accelerations and almost doubles the load on the table so you can go from 300 to 550 so i've got quite a bit of overhead if i really need to that, Which is really it nice. probably isn't that noticeable to cycle time either. Oh man. Yeah. There's even if it slowed it down to 70 or 60%, even 50%, it like, it still is so stupid fast that it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And like the Z, you don't change the Z. So the Z is still crazy quick. And that's, what's really doing a lot of moving. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not not worried about it. I've, I sent you that picture. I found the parameter. It's literally just says like table load. And right now it says 250 kilograms. And then I think I double it and get my other. And I think it fixes all of the other parameters for me. I have to kind of play around with it and find out. But pretty easy. That's really nice that they have that just built in. Yeah. I mean, I think there's enough people running, you know, large fourth axis fixtures with tail stocks and all that, that it's probably something that gets flipped pretty often. Oh, that's true. And then the last thing on my end is I finally tried, not the Illumigator rougher yet. I still need to get a map torch this weekend and and shrink that in. But I tried the finisher last night and I had mixed results. So their numbers on their website for that finisher, the three eights, say to run it at 12K and 206 inches a minute for finishing. Whoa. And like, so that I don't have 12K, I have 10K. So I backed that off to 10K. And my first test, I did either 80 or 90 inches a minute. I can't remember which. And like the finish was pretty good. And the part was within seven tenths of nominal, which is great. I mean, there was zero spring pass or anything. This was just one pass around the entire part. Okay. Um, And then I was like, well, I'll bump it up to what they recommend. And I bumped it up to, it it works out to a five and a half thou chip load, five point seven thou chip load and so i ran that and like i could see distinct feed forward lines in all the walls like the t- finish wasn't terrible but it wasn't great especially because i was cutting on the same part with a viper right next to it and like the viper was going way slower because it was finishing some critical features but it was like night and day and so i backed it off to i think 75 and that looked pretty good so i'm working with one of their applications engineers right now to kind of figure out if I did something wrong, if I should leave more stock, leave less stock, feed it faster, feed it slower, whatever. Um, How so much we're gonna, stock were you leaving? I think 20 was the first one I'd tried. And then I bumped up to 30. Okay. The thought being it needs more of a bite. Yeah, that, and I think I did math wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to keep playing with it. It sounds amazing. Like, 200 or 160 inches a minute, I think was the fastest I fed it at it. It's incredibly quiet compared to any other end mill I've ever run. So it, it sounds really good and it, it cuts really cleanly. So, and, and like, usually if I'm trying to hold size on some parts, I might have to take a spring pass with a three eights 
Yep. Or at least going that fast. And this one, like, like I said, within one pass, it was within seven tenths of nominal. So I was like, Oh, perfect. That's, you know, these are fairly loose parts. That's totally fine. So I think overall, even if I have to dial it back to 75 inches a minute, if I can not do a spring pass and hold really good size and good finish, that will probably be our go-to finisher for now. But I, I have to do more f- testing. This was just one part. Okay. What was the depth I cut? Uh, 550. Okay. Because I was just thinking, I just finished up those large parts, and I did a um, finish pass going like, I want to say 80 inches a minute. This is with a half inch tool though. Mm-hmm. And like perfect finish and, you know, size. Oh, nice. So I don't know if that's just the larger tool is just more rigid maybe, or. I'm sure it helps. What was yeah. the flute length on that? Uh, Probably just an inch. Okay. Yeah. So you're only two times diameter. This was an inch length to cut as well. So it was just under, just over, just under three times diameter. Oh, okay. So I'm sure that that going to a bigger size and shortening up the stick out definitely helps all around. But what kind of tool holder were you using? An SK-10, I think. Was it a dual contact? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's as ideal conditions as I can pretty much get with this spindle without having another dedicated shrink for the finisher. Yeah, I mean, if you can get those results, I don't think it's worth getting another shrink fit. Right, right, exactly. And, and like, I think playing around with it a little more and kind of figuring out exactly how much stock to leave and all that stuff, like, it, just the way it sounded made me feel very confident that it's going to be a a good end mill going forward. But we'll have to see. I I saw today that Ben posted that they, they like closed down his personal account that he used to buy through them and that they're like not selling to the end user anymore and only going through distributors now. Oh gosh. Which is like, and and like the way that they worded it was like, like in an effort to improve and blah, blah, blah. And like Ben posted, it was like, so you're taking one step back to supposedly take one step forward or something like that. And it's like, yeah, like why, why would you do that? Like every company is going towards end user sales. Yeah, so. like, have you heard of Amazon? Right, right, yeah, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what all shakes out with that, but so far I'm, I'm liking it, and I'm looking forward to trying out the uh, uh, Illumigator, like the rougher. Yeah, and then I saw you posted you were, like, soaking cement mills. Did you, like, chip weld or something? Oh, th- so those were from a long time ago. Those were from six or eight months ago. Okay. Actually, one of them might have even been longer than that. So I had two of the top hat tools, the AB tool reverse flute ones. Okay. And then one of the Pearson work holding O-ring cutter, like the gasket groove cutter. Yeah. And so that one was stupid. I was cutting the new pallets that I used last week on the old brother and like literally turned off the coolant for, I don't know, five seconds because I was like, Oh, I want to make sure that it's actually cutting the chamfer like that. Oh, I set boy. the tool. Right. And then in that time I look over and it's just like welded up and like going around a car. I was like, Oh no. <laughs> and thankfully I had another one. And so I threw that in there and it cut it fine. And you know, everything was, was fine. But um, yeah, we, we soaked that. And then two of those uh, top hat tools in lie and it got everything off. They look great. Huh? I've never done that, but I see people do that pretty often. Yeah, same. We, we had never done it, but I'd always been 
they're, they're like a the top hat tools are like 75 bucks and so i was like yeah they look fine like nothing looks chipped we might as well give it a shot like the the thing a lie is four bucks or something you know yeah. it's like if it didn't work i'll throw everything away and i'll be four dollars poorer but you know <laughs> it's, it's worth the it's worth the experiment for me yeah no starbucks for that day but that's okay right yeah you know it, it was it was a low cost failure if anything so it all worked out huh yeah i might have to try that yeah and then uh so what's going on with you you know it i just finished see this is what's weird is we were talking off air it's not, it feels like i haven't talked to you in like three or four weeks which is weird yeah um, yeah i felt but, the same way <laughs> yeah and it's weird because like we talked a little bit last episode with kelvin beforehand before he joined a little bit but i finished up that large production run of those large parts so now i've got like 500 pounds of chips i got to deal with so originally i was putting them in <laughs> just garbage bags but then i was like i'm just gonna buy some hefty bins and then every time i fill up these 10 bins i'm just gonna take them to the scrapyard, um just because then they don't leak and all that and so I'm procrastinating doing that, so I need to do that. <laughs> um, but now I kind of have a chip system in place a little bit better. And then I guess this did happen. So my freaking chip auger tipped over. Um, yeah, I saw that. That looked like quite the bummer. It was it was funny, too, because it happened the same day that Brad texted me and like the chips had piled up in the back of the old brother so much that it leaked out from under the machine and created a giant puddle. And I like within <laughs> an hour of each other, I saw your story on that puddle and then his like picture on uh, messenger of that puddle. And I was like, Oh man, the today is just, it's not a good day for machine coolant. Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. So what? you had to clean all that up and you had to reaffix your, your auger or your, uh, whatever shoot. Yeah. So, Luckily, what had happened was every, I think it was 40, oh no, it was less than that. It was like every 30 minutes, every 28 minutes, like op one and two were done of these parts. So I had enough time to like go inside and do other stuff. And this was the last day of running these parts. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pull like a 16 hour day and just get these done. And of course this happens, but just by luck, um, I went out there for something else and I was like, why is the chip auger like literally parallel to the ground? <laughs> and it was just gushing coolant because the way the Haas works is the chip pan drains down to the front and then there's the chute that's angled to the left. It goes down that way and then it goes down to the chute to the back and the auger's right there and on the left side. So it was just gushing coolant out. I stopped the chip auger. I, um, e-stop i didn't e-stop actually i think i was just doing drilling so i let that cycle finish put it on option stop and then i had a mess to clean up and what had happened was there is a what is it called like a v v like channel a v clamp. yeah yeah and so what had happened was i'd have to i showed that in the post it had bent and it came open and loose and it just allowed the chip auger auger to tip over and so this has happened once before, but nothing leaked. But I think what it is, I don't know if it's just because I have a bent clamp, but basically when a bunch of chips get towards the end of the auger, 
right where it starts to go up that chute. I think a lot of pressure is created or something because that's right where this clamp is holding the two pieces together. And it just starts to move the auger and just want to tilt it over. Um, oh, geez. So I guess all I did was to prevent this from happening again is basically in the program of running this 30-minute cycle after, let's see, after it was done with the first op, it would turn on the auger until the cycle was over. So it was like the auger was on for like the last 10 minutes of this whole um, cycle. And honestly, it was removing chips, but the way the Haas is, it just has such bad chip control that they pile up in the back corners anyways. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to remove that one M code and I was fine. The auger didn't turn on at all, but I would just turn it on every couple hours. Um, And that just eliminated that potential headache so i don't know what the long-term solution is you know if i have you know an eight hour run of some kind that i want to do over the night thing is i just can't think of something that would create so many chips that i need to turn the auger on Um, right so i don't know what the solution is but i definitely got to get a new clamp just to be safe um but yeah that happened which once again good lesson learned you know lost some coolant but that's fine yeah, it might be worth like machining a little like U clamp for the top of the chute that you can like bolt to the side of the machine or even like a magnetic clamp or something just to keep it standing upright. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because, um, yeah, that it looked like quite the pain. Yeah, it was just, you know, how it is with machining. Whenever you have to deal with like the coolant tank or chips or stuff like that, you just get messy really quickly and there's no way around it. So I wasn't looking forward to that problem that day but i had to just deal with it yeah but so what about anything else anything on the molding side you know i haven't i've just been so busy with restocking stuff on the lego side of everything you know i have my uv printer that i've been running pretty heavily just it's a balance of and i talked about this with you last week a little bit but i'm at the point where I'm balancing, how do I create new products while keeping old stuff in stock? Because I'm running into the problem of I'm spending so much time doing production on old stuff that's sold out that I know sells, where it's like, I'm so tired. I've been printing these or I've been molding these parts for five years now. Like, yes, it's money, but it's like, I want to make the new stuff that's like, not just I'm excited about, but my customers would be excited about. And it's like, how do I find that balance? It's a really tough one. So I'm trying to, I'm designing a fixture for my UV printer, which would be kind of cool to share pictures of, you know, how can I, instead of printing five figures at a time, how can I print 10 or 20 at a time? There you um, go. And then that boosts up my printing cycle time. So I'm not standing there every three minutes. I'm standing there every 15 or, you know. Yeah, totally. So, you know what? I'm going to pressure you to start doing uh oh get yourself probing and tool setting yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna nag at you because uh so easton came by you know um I, I didn't say anything on air but easton from uh maria manufacturing i think i'm saying that right um and both he and i were like why doesn't have peyton have probing and tool <laughs> setting he's doing so much work by himself he needs stuff to take like the the weight off and i was like i completely agree I was like, let's bug him about it. Let's bug him, he says. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I know how much of a load it takes off of me. And like, I, 
I just want that ease of use for you. Like I know it's one of those things where you're like, I don't want to spend the money. And then the second you spend the money, you would be like, I should have done this two years ago when I bought the machine. Like you, you will, you will not regret it at all. I swear to you. Yeah. I mean, I, it's freaking funny how Haas posts probing videos when I'm thinking about him, like, stop now I have to watch this. <laughs> and then like, just the thought of being able to say like, cause most of my tools, except for some of the small ones that there's gotta be settings on how, um, fast the like the feed speed because on like a really tiny end mill i don't know if i would trust it um i've going set at, down to a 20 on my tool setter now okay um, no what was it originally at no I, I haven't adjusted any speeds or feeds like i was able to oh. with the stock probing routines set down to a 20 at a 20 thou end mill oh gotcha so, no breaking or anything okay because what I'm really liking about the idea of probing is like, okay, most of my tools, Haas has like, you know, you can reverse it and I'm sure you have it. Like you can actually reverse the tool while it's spinning, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that's a little overkill for some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically in theory, all my tools are quote drills, right? I just care about the length. Like that's it. Right. And so I can just say literally like you can, probe this tool to this tool and everything in between go and it'll do that you know even if i've already touched it off like why not just touch it off again it might change a couple tenths because of where or whatever and you know now i'm just that much more confident it doesn't take that much time right or like spindle growth like uh, i notice you know a thou thou and a half over an entire day of machining that my spindle will grow like especially when it's cold out when it goes from really cold to really warm um so like it's super nice if I know I'm doing something with a really tight depth call out. It's like, oh, I'll just touch off every tool I'm going to use into this real quick. No, oh, I believe that. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of probing, too. I, so there is two companies that I want to call out for being shady AF. And I, so we at work, one of my charges this year is to get probing on all the machines that we can and start using it like every time we can, because, you know, it, it just decreases scrap. And like if the way we run is that we don't run lots big enough that we're, you know, adding 20 seconds of probing is going to matter. Whereas like if we scrap a casting that will matter way more than any amount of cycle time that I add. So I got a quote for the old brother that we have, not that old. It's, I don't know, 2006 or something like that. And the way that the guy from Yamazin quoted, it was straight through Renishaw. So Renishaw to supply the hardware and do the install. And they, they wanted get this. $12,000. Whoa. The kit that they are installing is $6,000. <laughs> they want, well, and sorry, the, the, they charge $1,000 for their inspection plus routines as well. So $7,000, let's say. That means they are charging $5,000 for install. I have seen five of the five or six of these probes installed now. It's like maybe a day at max. So that means they are charging $500 an hour for travel and install and training. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that. I've seen people dial in a probe. It takes maybe an hour. <laughs> well, and like this is install. So like, you know, wiring up the skip signal, wiring okay. up the power. But that's still, I, I've seen it done. I know how to do it. I told them, I was like, you just buy me the kit and I'll figure it out. I was like, you'd have to pay me for like way more than a day to f- to figure it out. Like, even if it takes me all week, 
you're still way net positive. So yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's and then the insane. Yeah. And then the other company I want to call out, which is just, again, shady stuff. Um, we found a, so one of the things that I think irks a lot of brother owners um, or people buying brothers is that the MPG is a thousand dollars. Like the hand wheel, like, cause they don't come with them standard. They say that like, Oh, well in a high production facility, you just want your setup people taking their MPGs from one machine to another and plugging them in. That way people don't have access to like jog the machine around when they're not supposed to, okay. which is just BS. It's like, just package it with the machine, raise the price a thousand dollars and don't tell me that I'm paying a thousand dollars for that thing. Yeah. Um, but we found a used one because like the one on our TC is like this plasticky kind of crappy one, like an eBay one, more or less. Okay. That came with a machine. And so I found a legitimate, it's a, the brand is World Encoders and it's the same one that Brother actually supplies and Yamazan supplies and it was broken. And so I found it and I was like, oh, I'm going to get it repaired. There's only one place that pops up when you want to get them repaired and it's called ACS industrial services and like maybe they do great work maybe people will write in and say like oh they you know they're worth their money but we were like hey can you quote they, they do free quotes for anything that you need repaired we sent it in a few days later i get a quote it'll be eleven hundred dollars to repair your mpg whoa and i was like uh that's funny because a, a new one is nine hundred and twenty dollars <laughs> and she was like oh well we can give you a 25 percent discount but it's probably best if you just buy a new one. And then I was like, all right, just send it back. And then I had another person email me from there like, well, because you're a first time customer, we could actually give you a 35% discount. And I was like, I'm not paying two thirds of a new one for a, a refurb one. Like, what, no. what are you talking about? No, just send it back. Like, here's my FedEx account number. Just send it back. I will go through and replace everything on the board myself for like a hundred bucks. Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and so I just... I wanted to make sure that if anybody out there is looking to repair a, an MPG from brother, it, it's looking like either do it yourself or buy a new one because the only place that advertises being able to repair them is trying to rip you off. That's just frustrating. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't believe it. Cause like Brad and I were like, Oh, well maybe, maybe 200 bucks, you know, maybe two fifty. Um, like that a third of a new one, like that would suck. But like, you know, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll stomach that to have a really nice MPG. And then, yeah, we got the quote and we're like, this is absolutely insane. And this is just the little jog wheel thing. Same thing like Haas has, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So not the one, but it's not one of the ones that's like built into the control. It's the, the pendant with the wire to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just like, it blows me away. Yeah. It just sets sets examples for everyone else of what not to be right yeah it's like at least do the research on what something is worth before you say that you're going to spend more like i would much have rather them email me and say the cost to repair this is more than a new one we appreciate your business but we're sending it back like if they had said that i would have been like cool that's that's open that's honest but like to just send me a a quote that's like hey it's 1100 bucks ha ha yeah like, and hope that you're you're <laughs> someone that didn't do their research Right, exactly. I was like, this is, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, those are just two things that I want to do uh, shout out because I, I, uh, I understand that good things cost money. I, I work in a manufacturing world. I know what it costs to do things. 
at the same time, I hate how there are certain things in the manufacturing world that it's like, well, you're, you're going to pay whatever we want because where else are you going to go? Ha ha ha. You know, we, we got you over a barrel. Like, which just, I understand that because it's supply and demand, but like at the same time, it's like, okay, you don't want to be that one, you know, rude person or that shady company. That's the only one that can do X and it's like, well, now no one wants to go through you, but like everyone hates you or, you know, whatever. Right, right. I mean, well, I mean, that's when people um, innovate. Like now it's going to force me to learn how to install a probe correctly. Yeah. It's like, I'll just do it myself now. Like, screw it, you know? Like, unless it comes with a new machine, I'm certainly not going to ever ask Renishaw to do anything. Like, I know what they're going to try to charge me. Yeah. It's so, just, yeah. Absolutely insane. Well, do you want to move on to viewer questions? I, I honestly don't have too much to talk about else myself. Yeah, yeah, we can jump on to viewer questions. So we had a, a few people ask us questions, and then I asked our audience two questions and got a bunch of uh, responses that we'll share. Okay, um, so you want to start could... with the questions? Yeah, 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 sure. So Joe Cottrell asked, what's the fastest you can get material shipped, and where do you order it from for fast shipping? You want to go first? Sure. Um, so I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, if I need material, my first stop is IMS locally, because even if they're more expensive, most of the time they have it in stock, or if not, they can get it shipped down in one day from Phoenix. Um, and so I can get stuff usually same day if it's like 6061 or mild steel or some tool steels. Um, if I can't find it there, the place that seems to do it the best so far is uh online metals which i think you use as well yep and like they're i've had to overnight material from them all the time and like our the customers that need stuff that quick pay for it like it's a 100 bucks i usually know for overnight shipping for whatever material but if they're in that much of a need they pay for it and i don't care you know yeah and they they get it done um the only time that they've kind of let me down is and this is something to know if you're using them. They do not list stock on their website. It might. You would think that they would say sold out if it was sold out, but it doesn't. So oh, like one yeah. time I ordered Delrin in two sizes and like needed it the next day. Like I absolutely needed it the next day to make make my parts in time. And only one of them shipped. And I called them and they're always like, you know, I, I had ordered black Delrin and white Delrin. Both were half inch thick plates and they were supposed to be 12 by 12. I called them. I'm like, hey, what the heck? I needed this. And they were like, oh, well, the only black Delrin we had was an 11 by 12 plate. And I was like, I could have used that. Like I needed like a three by four inch piece and you didn't sell anything less than 12 by 12. And they were like, oh, well, you, you got to call us for stock. Like we don't list that on the website, but call us. And so that that is the trick to if you need something ASAP from online metals, call them and make sure they have it in stock and that it's ready to ship. I've learned that exact lesson because I've gotten an order and I got a tracking number. And I was like, okay, this is coming on Tuesday. I can machine them Wednesday, blah, blah, blah. And then I get it. And I'm like, why is only one of the two things I bought here? And then I got another tracking number and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yep. And so I called them and same thing. They're like, you got to call us and we can check for you. And you know, it's, that's easy to do because they're pretty quick to answer the phone, but it's like, if you're ordering after hours or stuff, that could be annoying. Oh, totally. And like the, the biggest thing that was a pain for me is I ordered it 
on a Thursday before they shipped, before like the ship window was closed. So it was supposed to be there Friday. By the time I realized Friday that it hadn't shown up, I called them and they're like, oh, well, we don't do Saturday delivery. Like they will only do Monday through Friday ship shipments. Like they won't do, what is it, UPS Red or whatever that delivers on Saturday. Really? Um, yeah. So he was like, the best I can get it to is Monday. And I was like, uh, oh, okay. Like that's, it is what it is. Thanks. See, I get stuff from them on Saturday all the time, but then again, I'm 30 minutes from one of their facilities. Right. I, I think that that's more a function of like UPS or FedEx or whatever, whereas okay. like they couldn't guarantee a Saturday delivery. Like if I was going to pay, it, it would have been like 120 bucks for another overnight shipment, but they couldn't guarantee Saturday delivery. And it's like, well, then I'm not going to pay that, you know? Yeah. And another so. thing, I mean, this will just segue in. That's basically where I go to get material and basically with online metals always figure you can always get 20% off of the price. Yeah. Um, there's always a coupon code, always a coupon. And if there's not call or email or do their online chat and you can get one. Um, but that's the first thing I do when I'm quoting stuff. Like I was just looking at two and a half inch um, square bar, you know, at a 12 foot section. And it was like, I don't know, 200 some dollars or whatever it was, take 20% off. That's like 40 bucks. And it's like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, they seem to have a sale every other day. Yeah. And so if you, if you're going to use them and you can wait a few days, just watch their website because if you're in between sales, one will pop up that week, almost guaranteed. Oh, hundred percent. It's like every single holiday, every single, you know, they'll be like, Oh, it's national pancake day. Put in pancake for 20% <laughs> off. Like, no, seriously, you know. <laughs> he's telling the truth guys. Literally I'm on it right now. And I have a discount code for Washington two X is 200% or not 200% off. 20% oh, off. They pay you. Yeah. <laughs> this got better. <laughs> yeah. It, it's literally every excuse they can to give you 20% off. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's my go-to for fast shipping if I really need something strange. Um, and it's rare that they don't have what I need. Like, there, there are certain metals that I can't get through them. Like, I can't get... I still don't have a good, quick supplier for 17.4 in any kind of hardness. Like, okay. I know TW Metals has it. There's some other people, but, like, they're, like, the tri traditional distributor model where, like, you have to contact them and wait for a quote. And it's, like, you know, two days to order something through them so um besides that though like most I, I guess standard and air quotes materials you can get through them like that's where i get my 70 75 because i don't uh, ims doesn't do it locally yeah um so yeah that answers that question uh the next one we had is twofold and it's from split 141 and i'll read it off um so he says he's having a reoccurring issue where he's getting his Z heights dialed in. So he takes his raw stock, measures it with a mic. In Fusion, he has the stock fully modeled. He does op one, all good. The heights are dead nuts. He flips it, decks it off, and then always seems to be off by a couple thou. The math adds up in simulation for op two if he checks it under the info tab to make sure the Z heights are actually correct. How do we handle it? Do we face both sides of our raw material and then measure it? Do we process your our raw, raw material or just slap it in and go? And that's just the first part of his question. So why don't you, how do you deal with material? Do you, do you deck off both sides of raw material? Or just slap it in and go. I just go. Same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've had some the... 
issues like with those large parts I just made, I was running into I remember I sent you those pictures of it like gouging that inside. Right. Yeah, and what was happening was so I cut the profile of the part first and then I faced it and then I was doing all my work, but I realized that's a lot of structural material on the um on the Y and X axis, mainly just the Y where I'm gripping it and it was chattering. So I just took that adaptive and that cleanup contour, moved it to the very bottom of the operation. So I basically did that last, leaving as much meat on the material as I could so nothing could flex or move on me. I then did that last, and that eliminated the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I I process raw, or I don't process raw material. I throw it in, especially if it's aluminum. I throw it in the Sarah Jaws, do everything in Op 1, holding on to like 60 thou, 70 thou, Flip it into soft jaws or hard jaws, deck it off and go. Um, if you're having a mismatch or you're, you're off a few thou in op two, I would check your vice torque. You're either maybe over torquing it and pulling the, the part up out of the vice. Uh, maybe you need to hit it down. Like a, if you're using parallels, I would, you know, tighten your vice, knock it down with a hammer, check your parallels and make sure that they're stuck. Like if they're moving around, your part's not down on your parallels. Yeah. Um, if you're cutting soft jaws and that's happening, very often your end mill has worn and left a small radius or you don't have a big enough chamfer from op one and those corners down in your pocket are interfering and actually pushing your part up slightly. It's, it's not much, but it sounds like you're only talking about a few thou and that's, that's really all you need. So I've never thought uh, of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if in the past, if I've had something that needs to be like super, super flat after op two and like really tight tolerance, uh, thickness and I have the tool, I'll take like a, even a dovetail cutter and go and buzz the bottom of the bottom corner of my soft jaws so that it leaves a little relief for the part to actually seat on the bottom. Okay. It takes more time and I've got to have the right size dovetail cutter, but um, I've done it in the past when I really, really need it. Yeah, that sounds like it would work. So those are those are where I would start. Feel free to reach out and kind of we can walk through. Uh, I'm more than happy to like walk through troubleshooting with you because th those kind of things, when the code is all right, you know, it's something you're doing like it, it, you know, either your tools are not set right. Your parts not set right. It's moving somehow. Like there's a lot of little things that could lead to only a couple thousand missing. Yeah. One thing I've learned, especially after talking to Dylan more is for a lot of machining, people don't realize you don't really need to grab the part as hard as you normally are like you could get away with not much holding power especially in a vice and still go at a piece of material oh yeah yeah it's that i mean that's a lesson that i learn constantly like especially <laughs> my favorite thing to do is tighten something as tight as i think it is and then go and grab like a torque wrench and tighten it i don't know two-thirds of that uh -huh. or and then see if it if it holds or see how it sounds like and go from there like there's a lot of times where I'll torque something by hand and then check it with a torque wrench and be double or triple what I actually need. Oh yeah. It's, a, it's like, Oh, I just clamped that with 60 foot pounds. It's like, I need 20. I'm doing almost nothing in this operation. Why, why? Like, exactly. you know, so, and then the second part of his question, this is kind of a theoretical question. Um, and it's about second ops again. So let's say you have a part two ops, whole features on the top and whole features on the bottom. You do op one with G54 set to the center of the block. After op one, you flip it into op two. 
You set your offset to the center of the top hat for decking. You deck it fine. How do you relocate to get your precise holes? Do you, do you, oh, do you then do a third offset again off the block or how do you do that? So I would never set my work offset off of a top hat because I would assume it's raw stock, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I never use the top hat. Yeah. I all use, either. if I'm just picturing like a square, right? It's yeah. in, in a top hat. I would just, you know, what I have is just a one inch little ground steel block, like a gauge block. I don't know where I got it, but it's exactly an inch by an inch. And I just put that up against the flat of a part and I, you know, use an edge finder or whatever I'm using for X and Y off of that. Then I just offset it an inch and a hundred thou or whatever I need to do. And then it's theoretically right on that edge, you know, cause you can't get under that top hat with most of these tools. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, um, I do it kind of similarly. Like if I'm using a stop, I, and like, let's say I'm using a stop in parallels cause it's a square part and I'm, I don't know, matching up the through hole with the counter bore from the other side. Not that I would do it that way, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I will use the part to set my stop and my parallels and make sure that all the clearances are right. And then I'll pull that part out and throw a one, two, three block in there Boom, and use that exactly. to set X, Y, and Z. I'll drop the Z down an inch from the top of the one, two, three block, and then back up in Z if I want to, whatever the thickness of the part is, or I'll just go off the bottom of the part. Exactly the other way I do it. Yep. 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 Yeah. Um, or if you have probing, <laughs> the way I did it, the way I did it yesterday is, uh, I, my Y and Z were already set. And then I just came in and buzzed like the first 200 thou off the left-hand side of the part with the top hat tool, leaving like five thou on the face and then just came in and probed X and then went to town. Yeah. I basically do the exact same thing for both those methods. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to skin that cat, but, um, I would never well, yeah, I, I would never do your second op off of raw stock. There's always a better way to locate it. If you're doing soft jaws, I keep my, I use the same offset to cut my soft jaws as I do to machine the part. Sometimes I'll go up or down an X, or I mean, not an X, in Z. So I'll either go off the bottom of the soft jaws up, or I'll go off of where I cut my soft jaws up to the top of the part, maybe. Um, though more and more frequently, I just use the exact same point for both the soft jaws and the, the part. So back left or back right of your stationary jaw to cut the pocket and to cut the part. Well, I do center and center, but okay, um, yeah. yeah, more or less, same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that takes care of that. Uh, again, if you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out, Jonathan. We're more than happy to elaborate a little more. Yeah. Uh, Porta Pilot asked, what coolant do we use? And as small shops, how do we dispose of coolant? I think we both use quality chem, right? Now I do again. Yeah. Okay. Um, we just got another five gal of, uh, quality chem because yeah, Blazer was, I, I really liked it as far as like how it felt on my hands and washed off and stuff. I, I've said this before, but it was just a pain to mix. It was a pain to keep fresh. It was way more expensive than quality chem. Um, Yeah pretty much that that's it. And Qualicam is cheap and amazing finishes. And now the new batches are staying super fresh. It seems like which, uh, Qualicam are you using? 250 C. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Um, and then as far as disposing of it, 
Um, I actually told Port Pilot in the message this, but we have 170 gallons of used coolant on in my shop right now that has been sitting there for between three or between one and three years. Um, and just in 55 gallon drums that is actually getting picked up tomorrow, which is so nice. How much <laughs> that cost to get rid of it? I think the place that we finally found is like 75 bucks a barrel for a 55 gallon barrel. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the, the reason that we had all this on site was that the only place we could find in town was safety clean. Like they pretty much drive everybody out of business because they're so large. And I've heard nothing but terrible things about safety clean. And they were like, I want to say they had like a minimum charge to get them out there, which was like a hundred or 150 bucks. And then it was like a per barrel price too. And like at the time when we inquired, we didn't meet their minimum. And so like, it was just even another fee on top of that. And then this place that we just recently found, um, yeah, it's 75 bucks a barrel and they're just going to come and do it. And so it's like super easy. I'm super excited. Like it, it, it has been so long that we've had this stuff sitting in here. It's like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, just get it done. Yeah. And then what about you? What, what have you done to dispose of coolant or have you had to dispose of much coolant? Uh, I just run molds. And then it just <laughs> evaporates. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So honestly, I'm kind of scared to if I want to clean out my coolant, how much it's going to cost or who does that. I'll probably just talk to my old, um, the old company I used to work for and see what they do. Yeah. Either them or like we found this place that's going to pick us up or pick ours up tomorrow through our coolant supplier. Oh yeah. I could probably just talk to them. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, we, well we use this place locally. Like, here you go. I was like, Oh, great. Yeah. I'll probably just do that. And then the last, uh, listener question we had was from Smith machine and tool. And he said, is Z is 3d surfacing hard on Z axis ball screws and bearings, specifically the up and down movement in small molds and cavities when surfacing with ball mills, what's our opinion? Uh, I don't know. I hope it's not too hard on it. I think that there are certain machines that it's harder on. Like our kitty has uh, ways on the Z that actually wear out. And like, obviously everything wears, but like a roller bearing system is going to wear out significantly less over that much movement as something that is you know, gliding to flat surfaces on oil. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, it, everything wears out eventually. I don't think it's hard on them, though. You're not putting a lot of load on. There's no chatter. You're not causing any, like, serious impacts or anything like that on those bearings or ball screws. Um, I, you know, I, I would... Th- I'm no expert. I would think that anybody who says, oh, it's it's really hard on your Z-axis ball screws are the same kind of people who are like, oh, high-speed machining, you can't do that. It's really hard on the machine. Yeah. You know, like, and, and yeah, you're moving around more, but you're not jarring these components with, you know, high torque loads, high impact loads, all the chatter, all the vibration. So I don't think it's it's specifically all that you know, I don't think it causes any more wear than normal usage. Yeah. I was Um, just about to say, it's not like you're doing a, I mean, maybe he is or not, but I'm just picturing like a giant 
like, I don't know, giant steel mold and you're using like a two inch ball mill and you're like roughing hard steel, like that's different. But if you're using small tools, just, you know, like you said, low loads, um, you would think it's just kind of giving the machine just a little jog. It's just doing its thing. Right. Well, and uh, I don't know, I don't do a lot of mold work. Obviously you do, but I would, whenever I'm 3Ding anything for the most part, I use Z level roughing passes and not X, Y roughing passes. You know, I'm not doing a parallel across a pocket. I'm doing contour down a pocket. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm same with me. I will step down with scallop, you know, do every five tenths I go down. Yeah. So it's not all that much Z movement. I mean, it's at least it's not up and down constantly. Like it's, a lot more X, Y movement than it is Z movement. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, anybody who is, who rebuilds machines and listens or, you know, is from a machine tool manufacturer. Not that I think we have anybody listening like that, but anybody who has an opinion, reach out. I'd love to hear more of what people think. Yeah. And especially on when people say this is a, you know, I know a couple of the reasonings, but why people say this is a mold machine or, you know, I understand like the finer pitch and like the resolution idea and all that, but there's got to be more to that. Right. Right. All right. And then the last two questions were ones that I posed to you guys, our listeners through our Instagram stories. And that was what is the best tip you've received in machining and what is the worst saying you've heard in machining? And so I've got a whole bunch of listener things that listener answers um and then we'll we'll go ahead and share ours too so adam the machinist said the best thing he's heard was slow down to speed up and the worst was that's how we've always done it which i completely agree with yeah um danny rudolph said oh no he, he didn't say anything about the best tip but the worst uh saying was that high speed steel is sharper than carbide um, and we, we kind of talked about that cause I had always heard that too. Um, but he said that all the high speed tools he's ever seen look like shit compared to carbide. And so like, <laughs> I, I agree for the most part, like the ones that I've seen that I'm not impressed with. Um, then let's see. Danny, you better clip this and post it on your story. <laughs> uh, Jay or yeah, Jay. Fedig Machines said, that's how we did it at my last job. I think re- responding to the worst saying you've heard. Um, Frank the Machinist, the CNC Machinist, said the the worst one he's heard is, he ha- or the, the classic was that he, he hears people say like, oh, I've been doing this for t- 30 years, or oh, I've been doing this for 20 years, and that the amount constantly changes. Um, and then the good advice was... Uh, if you work on this trade alone, you will know less than working with others because you learn uh, faster. And he said he doesn't know if it still applies because of social media. But I mean, I think that still applies. Like I, I know plenty of people that I'm like, get on Instagram, learn something. Like I've learned more on the instant machinist community than I have at reading, you know, any other website. Um, and they still just don't do it. So yeah. What can you do? Uh, DM Ron 101 said, best tip, slow down and triple check. It saves you time in the long run. And then worst saying is just send it, bruh. <laughs> that might Which, be the best though. I was going to say Brad and I yelled out at each other all the time. 
he'll see me walking something and he's like, dude, don't you trust everything? Just send it. <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> um, let's see. I could just picture <laughs> this. Crude 45 said, if it's not right, make it bright. And he says it works for the best tip and the worst saying. <laughs> uh, Volk CNC machine said the best tip he learned was at trade school. And he saw a fellow apprentice put grease on the threads to hold PD wires while measuring uh, thread wires. Oh, wow. Huh. And the, I didn't respond to him. But the other thing that I use pretty much exclusively is take a rubber band and poke your wires through it to hold it. Oh, I find that even better because like they don't go anywhere. Worst case, you drop a rubber band. You can find that. I've used like putty before. Yeah, I've used putty too. putty works really well. Um, And then there's also these micrometer attachments that are magnetic that hold the uh, wires that work really, really well. Okay. And they're like, I don't know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. Um, CCV Justin said the worst saying he's ever heard was from a programming lead. And he said, that's not really what the engineer wants. I know better. And this was for an aerospace part. And he didn't last long. <laughs> and yes, he made it to the print instead. And it was even within tolerance. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love our listeners. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint, buy a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are all the ones that we, we received. I think um, I can't find any more. So what are so, yours? So mine was, well, my worst, at least, was the same as Adam. Um, that's how we've always done it. Like, I hear that. I have heard that so many times. And it's always followed by somebody doing the worst possible way to do something because they haven't learned anything in 40 freaking years. I have to agree with you because the whole, you know, just at my last job, the way they ran parts, it's like, there's why are you running this so slow? This is taking like 15 minutes and it could take a two minute cycle time and the answer was like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, don't touch the program. And it's just like, why not? Yep. Well, it's like there's a shop in town. I won't say any names, but I had a friend who worked there. And this is a union shop, really big money. And the part he was running was one insert per part. Every single part, you change the insert. I think it was titanium or something like that. And they just had not repro reprogrammed it in like 30 years. Whoa. Yep. And they were totally okay using an entire insert per part. Jeez. Yep. And like, yeah, it was just insane. And it was one of those things like, well, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes things don't have to break for you to realize that they're not good still. You yeah. Know? I mean, I understand because like that kind of goes back to like, this is where I, it's weird with sayings. I feel like there's always a saying to counteract another saying because <laughs> like you don't ever touch production, right? But um it, yeah but then it's yeah. like if it ain't broke don't fix it but if it's like slow i want to touch it like i want to make it better so it's like where's the it's a fine line but like if it's just blatantly obvious that like you're doing something wrong or just ridiculously slow like okay yeah yeah well and i think cam really helps with proving out those benefits because like you can at least spend the 10 minutes to cam something up real quick and be like, Oh, look, like the cycle time in simulation is, you know, one fifth of what it is on the floor. Like, let me take a crack at it. I'll, yeah. I'll save us money in the long run. Whereas yeah. like, if you're like, Oh, I save 
five seconds per part in cam like well maybe that's not worth my time yeah um and i i had a really good best tip earlier and now i'm totally blanking on it um why don't you go and i'll I'll come back to me and maybe i can think of one let's see best tip oh i was also gonna say what's the worst tip i've heard is go fast Um, (laughs) and cycle time matters um yeah i once again Yes, it does matter, but like, I rather, especially on a one-off, I much rather just get it done and get it done right the first time, type thing. Um, yep, process reliability, hundred yeah, percent. Seriously, and then as far as what is the best tip, it's so cliche, but like, just slow down. Like everyone else is kind of saying, like, take your time, take like, double check things. I can't think of something. Best tip. I mean, there's like tips and tricks, but that's not really what we're looking for. Oh, maybe. Yeah, even like a little tidbit, you know, like the thread wire thing. Like, what is one thing that you think you use, you know, more often than not that you learned from somebody? Probably like we talked about that one, two, three block trick. That's I use that all the time for setting work offsets. Yeah, I think that really works really well. Oh, one thing that actually applies. I don't know if you listened to the most recent... um, Machinist Therapy Hotline? I've not. So they were talking about, well, I think it just came out today, so you're, you're forgiven. Um, <laughs> but they, they were talking about like inspectors and having guys fight fight them for like good parts. Like, oh, well, you're this little bit out. Or like, oh, well, the CMM says you're wrong. And like one thing that I learned at my current job or one thing that our inspectors do, I mean, I, I started there as a quality inspector, is um, if you find a bad part, well, let, let me back up. So the philosophy at my day job is quality works for the customer. It does not work for us. So you are trying to find bad parts. Like it, it, that is your job, but you are also supposed to make sure that they are bad. Um, so like if we ever find a bad part in a lot, I'll check it like two or three different ways. Like I will do it on the CMM and be like, okay, that shows it bad. Let me try the height gauge. Okay. That shows it bad. And, and I'm within a few tenths. Let me do an open setup and check it and like, oh, that's bad. And then I'll usually have another ver- uh, inspector verify my findings. Like if he can't get it bad, well, then maybe I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Like, l- let me see what you're doing. And so I think that knowing different ways to inspect things, like there, are, there's always more than one way to inspect something and knowing your way around an open setup and a, a CMM or a height gauge or, you know, some way to inspect it in the machine like knowing ways to verify what you're seeing is super, super key because like this whole trade is just, it's all relative. Like if you think about measurement, everything is back to some standard that somebody says is equal to this, you know, like all of your tools are calibrated to a standard and that standard was calibrated to another standard. And like, so it's all just, it's in relation to other things. So like you always have to have ways to correlate findings. Otherwise, it could be a broken gauge. It could be the way you're using it. It could be the time of day. I don't know. You could be looking at it funny. Like I, there's, there's so many ways to make something like you can make a, a, even a mic or something like that. You can make it read good or you can make it read bad real easily just by not knowing how to use it or using it improperly or I don't know, miking on a chip or miking on a surface imperfection that you can't see because it's in the machine. Um, so I guess a, a good tip is to, to, if you've got a tight tolerance dimension or you've got a dimension you you are finding out, verify it. Yep. Um, like, you, actually, the, 
goes full circle. Yesterday I was running parts and I thought that I, I thought I had a hole out of location, but I was just like caliper whipping it real quick. It was a threaded hole. And so what I did instead is I went into my inspection room. I threw a real tight fin- fitting pin into the hole and indicated it off of my height master and did all the math. And I was like, nope, I'm directly on. And like, I, I should have been on because I was using a probe to find X and Y. And so it, it verified those results. Yep. Um, oh, and real quick, um, actually Easton just messaged me. He said, best tip, buy once, cry once, or using pallet strapping as parallel keepers. And then the worst saying is, oh, that doesn't make any sense. um yeah anyway so those are great best tips buy once cry once or using parallel strapping as parallel or using pallet strapping as parallel keepers those do work really really well honestly i was waiting for him to say something along the lines of get a probe peyton oh yeah hey uh peyton you should get a probe oh okay (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that, that takes takes us through uh listener questions and our questions. Um, I, I think we'll start doing something like this. I'll ask a question every week or try to come up with something like that. Cause it's, it's fun to hear a bunch of different voices. Yeah. Some unique question too. I like the, these ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think that kind of wraps us up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. It, like we're definitely seeing, I wouldn't say a spike in listeners, but it seems like there's more and more of you consistently listening to every episode, which is just super cool. Um, we love, all the feedback and it's, it, it's just great to have this audience that, to bounce stuff off of, you know, I, I post a question or like, you know, last time we talked, I talked about the glass and the kitty and like I had 10 people reach out. They were like, Hey, I might know somebody that can do this or Hey, I, if you can't find anybody else, I can do this. And like, that's super cool. It's really, really cool to have that kind of resource. So I, I really appreciate everybody listening. I do too. Yeah. And I guess just a quick reminder next week, we'll have Tom Lipton, from Ox Tools, and uh, I, I'm more excited about this guy than probably anyone else, just because of his, you know, skills, how long he's been doing it, and it's just not going to be anything like what we're used to talking about, which is going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and like I, I think of our normal questions for guests, and it's like, oh, what's your history in machining? And like usually, you know, they're like, oh, I started like ten years ago, and like I don't know Tom's story, but. I feel like he's going to have years of backstory, you know, oh, like, yeah. so it, it's just, it's super cool. And like what he does as, at his day job is incredibly cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a great episode. Definitely tune in, Um. shoot us questions for him. Cause it, it should be a, a great episode. Yeah. Definitely and uh, get questions in. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you want a shirt or if you're one of the first 60 to pre-order a shirt, you get a sticker too. Head over to Peyton's website, go ahead and get whatever color size you want. And we'll get those out as soon as we can get them printed. And then uh, once we kind of see what sizes sell well, what colors, all that stuff, we might branch out into other colors and we can kind of make some stock items and actually have those ready to ship rather than a pre-order. Yeah. And then we'll probably be doing like a t-shirt giveaway once we get these and all that. So definitely look out for that all on the Instagram page within Tolerance Podcast. And other than that, I think that's a wrap. Yep. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. See you next week with Tom Lipton.